Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Founders Create by Madeira.ai. Today we have John Franklin from FFC Ventures. John needs no introduction. He has been an early stage investor for the past 20 years, previously worked for Goldman Sachs, has led investments in companies like Indiegogo in 80 different countries. Thank you, John. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So, how important is investor training for angel investors or individuals looking to pursue a career in VC or private equity, or it's something that one can learn through experience? I, I, I honestly think that most angels probably don't want to go into VC or private equity. They just don't know it. And I think that it is something that takes um, a fair amount of time to get to understand as a business. Now, VC is very different than private equity. And as I'm a venture capitalist, I really won't touch on the private equity side. Um, but in, in the world of VC, performance is a peculiar thing. If you work at a hedge fund, you get daily mark to markets, you know how you're performing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. As a VC, you don't even know how you did last year or this year or two years ago. The performance is based on the outcomes of companies you invest in over many years and how they exit may not have much to do with everything you've contributed to help them perform over the years that you've been an investor on the board, engaged with the company. Um, and that can be true on the upside, can be true on the downside. Now, obviously, if you get a company that does incredibly well, um, uh, you're going to talk a lot about it because that's how VCs operate. And if it does badly for somehow, you forget their name. Um, but fundamentally, it's a business in which you're not measured uh, in any meaningful way. Sure. And, and that, is, that is tough for a lot of people. In addition, um, it's a job where you need to do it a couple of decades, maybe three decades before you know if you're any good. And if you're going to pick three decades to do that in, it's probably better to do it in the latter part of your career rather than the first part of your career. Um, so there's a compounding aspect to it. Uh, and honestly, you're trying to bring experience to the table as well. So I think for most people, VC is emotionally attractive and is aspirationally attractive, but may not be a good fit for them. That being said, if you're an angel investor and you've been an angel investor for a number of years and you're up for the marathon task of it and you have 10, 15, 20 investments under your belt and you want to professionalize it, VC is an interesting path, and that is the path that, um, uh, that I went on. Um, uh, uh, founded FFVC back in 2008, so we're in our 11th year, um, and we're in our second decade. And as a VC, the second decade is more fun than the first decade, um, as with 73 active portfolio companies, uh, we expect to see a couple of distributions every year now going forward. Whereas in the first decade, particularly as a seed stage investor, uh, it takes a while to get to distribution. Very insightful, very insightful. In your experience, 
how different do you think is the entrepreneurial dna across different geographies or do you think it falls on a uniform spectrum globally so a phrase that people who know me have heard me say a lot is is this belief that the world is flat that there's opportunity everywhere there are bright people everywhere but it's unevenly distributed and then there are areas and hubs which have distinct advantages. And some of those advantages are infrastructure-wise. Some of those advantages are because of local industries, educational institutions, past startups in the space. Some of them are cultural. And there are various countries where capitalism and venture capital is a capitalist pursuit where capitalism works and is respected in the countries that it's not. I would have said until recently that the US is a place where it's respected. I think it will still continue to be. But um, you need the rule of law. The, the whole notion of investing is one where you give people millions of dollars and they give you pieces of paper with a hope and a belief a number of years later, you can return a piece of paper and get a lot more money back. You spend a lot of time drafting legal documents, not with a view that you're going to be pursuing them in court, but with a view of the exact opposite that you won't. But nevertheless, there's a healthy respect on both sides for what is said in the legal documents um, around one's investing. Interesting. What advice do you give to someone who wants to be an investor and does not know where to start? I think the best advice is to start investing. If you want to become an investor, um, there are many angel networks that make sense. AngelList historically has been and still continues to be an interesting platform to find um, peripheral deal flow. Um, there are angel networks in New York, the HBS Angels of New York, New York Angels are big, but there are many others. Um, outside of New York, uh, there are probably um, four or five angel networks in any major city. Uh, and so those are good ways and sort of on-ramps into the space. The most important thing to understand is it's a marathon, not a sprint, and therefore pace yourself and understand that three, four, five years in, you probably won't have seen any distributions. You'll put money out to work. Some of your earlier companies probably don't talk to you anymore as you're not contributing money to them. And, um, and that that's par for the course. And if you're up for that, um, it can be an interesting way to contribute to the change and growth in the economy. This brings me to my next question. What do you think about AI in banking and financial services? And, you know? So with regard to AI, we're big believers that um, there's a lot of investable ideas that have been brought about by changes, discoveries, um, and advancements in AI over the last five to 10 years. If you go back 20 or so years ago, the internet was kind of um, a major changer. Uh, it still is today. Uh, these things have a tail to them. That a decade ago, mobile was a major changer. 
and it is today, and we think AI is today and will be for a long time. With regard to financial services, we have a particular interest in the space. We think there's some interesting things happening on both the, the consumer side and the enterprise side, not just because of AI, but because of infrastructure changes as well. Uh, and so we're spending a lot of time around the application of AI and financial services um, and looking at, at seed deals in that space with uh, particular interest. So you're a charter holder, ICAW, and you know, so bookkeeping, bookkeeping is being automated and a lot of startups are working on it. And so do you think that is one such service do you see in the near for foreseeable future getting fully automated or that would be just stretching it too far out? So it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I graduated from Oxford, not really knowing what I wanted to do in my career. And I decided to join a firm called Arthur Anson, which was one of the big four accounting firms back then, big five accounting firms back then. And I became a chartered accountant, not because I really wanted to pursue accountancy or I thought it was a big part of my future career, but because I felt having an understanding of numbers and ability to read balance sheets understand key ratios around companies was just you know good background training um i then joined goldman sachs and i was there for 21 years when i left goldman uh founded ffbc 11 years ago uh it turned out that we ended up building an accounting firm within ffbc called graphite financial and it's a team of uh, 30 to 40 cpas and accountants that provide accounting to startups. Um, and we ended up building it because one of the things we learned was a lot of companies fail because they don't know their numbers. I can't tell you how many CEOs I sit down with when I ask them, how much money are you gonna make this year or next? They will talk in terms of, we're gonna exit the year at an ARR of X or our billings are this. And I think billings and bookings are important. Gap is kind of intellectually interesting, but cash is king and cash is what you need for payroll. And it is very easy to run into an accounting problem. When I talk to other VCs, they tell us 10 to 15% of the time, their portfolio have accounting problems. And it's not just the small ones. It's not just an onboarding service. It's the later ones as well. Yep. Because the team you have is as good as the team you're going to have. They never run at full capacity. They only have the skill sets they have. And when you can draw on a much larger team for fractional services, you can get a much stronger product. And so we ended up building this. Um, uh, it's growing rapidly. Uh, and we're really excited about what it can do. And I think over the last decade, a lot of firms have become comfortable with outsourcing technical support, outsourcing engineering. And we think outsourcing of accounting is really important. Now, accounting is a broad term, like AI is a broad term. But when you break it down, there's bookkeeping, accounts payable, accounts receivable, payroll, 
all of those types of functions. And then there's behind that, you have um, um, what we call financial planning and analysis. So this is not just your gap PL, but a contribution margin PL. And that's important because a lot of the expense you use to acquire a customer may not be captured in gross margin, but will be captured in contribution margin. You may have a business that's positive gross margin and think that's a good business, and it could be a terrible business. If you don't understand your contribution margin, if you have more than one product, you want product line contribution margin. If you want to ensure that you have um, um, a really good understanding of your business, you need to know which are the right KPIs. So the financial planning analysis team is a growing team within what Graphite Financial does. And it really is making a difference uh, for companies. And this is something we provide to our portfolio companies at cost and non-portfolio companies at a margin. Um, uh, but with no marketing, this thing has grown strongly. So I think there's a real market need for venture quality uh, financial reporting. So FFC uh, says we become your partners. So I got the accounting part and what other areas do you work with your portfolio companies in? Well, we do, we do a whole series of things. I mean, we host somewhere around about a hundred events a year now. Um, you know, uh, not just for our portfolio companies, but for the wider community as well. And we've really found it to be material uh, in changing outcome for our companies in various things that we do uh, within our sort of platform and event side. Um, and we engage, you know, when there's a problem, we don't lose the phone number and the email address of our CEOs. We often step up. But the best way to understand that is within the US, the accepted statistic is about 10% of C deals get to a series B. About two thirds of C don't get to A, about two thirds of A don't get to B, so only about 10% get through. Now, some are exits, but a lot are not. Uh, we have enough data within our portfolio that somewhere between 50 to 60% of our C deals get to a series B. And to us, that's an indication of the work that the team does, as well as some luck. This is the business where luck is important. Uh, but it's an indication us of the work that the team does to really step up and help our companies when they're in a hole. And we would encourage, we, we do not cut anyone a check unless they uh, reference us and reference the team. Um, and we would encourage anyone looking for financing, whether it's from an angel or VC, to deeply reference the person you're gonna be working with for the next five, 10 years, uh, to make sure that it's someone who can really be helpful, someone you want to have that long-term relationship with. And you know, don't think of them as just a check, because it's more than a check. And, it, and sometimes it's, existentially more than a check. True, so true. So what advice would you give to budding entrepreneurs and people who are looking to raise capital and how and when should they reach out to FFC, FFC, sorry? Well, we're seed stage firm. 
And so, you know, we, we look to invest at a mid-single-digit valuation when a company's getting started. Um, can do pre-revenue, often post-revenue. We often lead. We can follow. And we're engaged. So if you're looking for someone you think can help de-risk what you're doing, we're the right partner. We're leaning in heavily to fintech uh, and applied AI in general. We've made a number of drone and robotic investments of late, which we think fit well into applied AI, um, as well as cybersecurity. So those are our areas of focus. But like any other stage investor, we don't put on the blinkers and only look at those spaces. We're willing to look wider. And, you know, just sort of um, look at our portfolio, make sure something isn't competitive. We really don't want to dig into competitors of our portfolio companies. Uh, and stand a deck and we'll take it from there. Awesome. Thank you so much again, John. Thank you so much again. And uh, you've heard, uh, John, uh, startups, founders who are listening out there. So if you want to apply, just log on to www.ffbc.com and try your luck. But be cool. cool. And look, thanks for having me. You can always um, you know, DM me on Twitter as well. My Twitter handle is John underscore Frankel. Um, uh, that's one of my favorite platforms for engaging with entrepreneurs. And uh, thank you very much for having me. Thank you.